Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I got a lot of different stuff to talk about. I'm gonna be talking about Team Canada. Their roster has finally been announced for Olympic play, so I'll be rattling down on who's gonna be there, particularly Shea Gilgis Alexander and Lou Dort. I'm also going to be talking about some stuff I've seen on Twitter lately. There was one pretty crazy kind of mock trade that drew my attention in, not by the trade itself, but kind of the results that it yielded. And I'm also just going to be doing a little bit more playoff chatter. So starting things out with the playoffs, I think we all kind of knew what happened yesterday, but regardless, I'm going to go down the line. There were three different games that were played Wizards played against the 76ers, Hawks played the Knicks, and the Grizzlies played the Jazz. First game between the Wizards and the 76ers, complete blowout. 76ers had it pretty much from start to finish. They were up near 20 points, like all of the fourth quarter. They won by 25, so they have a 2-0 advantage going into Washington, D.C. For the Hawks and the Knicks, that was the premier game. I mean, it's the Knicks, so they're going to be pushing the crap out of it think it was on TNT last night but yeah heavily promoted game and it delivered I mean it was it was crazy I mean just the Knicks in general in the playoffs is a completely different atmosphere and they have the Madison Square Garden almost packed to the full house like I don't know exactly what percentage it is but it is a lot of people and it was just it was a fun one I mean Derrick Rose erupted for 26 points really at the tail end of the game though superstar out of nowhere Reggie Bullock just started sniping down three after three was able to take the game away from the Hawks so they won 101 to 92 the series is tied heading into Atlanta and for the Grizzlies and the Jazz this was a game that was (laughs) really determined a lot by the whistle it seemed like the Jazz got almost everything that they wanted I don't know if it would have kind of swayed the outcome or not, but they were getting a lot of kind calls really from beginning to end there. So they were able to get the win by 12, 141 to 129. The big deal here was John Morant, though. He had 47 points. And the comparison between him and SGA was really prevalent this year. And I think there was even, by the tail end of the season, the consensus at least through the Thunder fan base that SGA was better than John Morant. And I don't know if you reevaluate it, but I still think they're on that same tier. That's just one game. But he has been stepping up, whether it's the play-ins, game one, game two. He's always been there for the Grizzlies. And had there been better calls their way, and had he kind of had a couple more co-stars, I could have seen them taking taking the win, you know, 2-0, going to their place, trying to end it. But that's really not what I want to talk about. And the big deal that was pushed heavily throughout networks for a good reason was not what actually happened on the court, but kind of what happened off the court, particularly with Trey Young and Russell Westbrook. So in the Garden, there's been chance for Trey Young this whole entire time. In in Game 1, and it might have been in Game 2 as well, everyone was screaming, F you, Trey. And then in Game 2, they were talking about Trey is balding that's fine. In my opinion, that's fine. Um, But he got spat on when he was trying to inbound the ball, and he kind of just flinched at it. He didn't really turn around or stop the play because, you know, the game was starting back up and he needed to throw the ball in, but you kind of see he flinched. And then with Russell Westbrook, 
he was walking back. He ended up rolling his ankle, and this game was pretty much over at the time. Not that it matters, honestly, but there was like 10, 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Wizards were down 17. He rolls his ankle, kind of was nagging the whole entire time, but he was going to leave, going out of the tunnel, and some guy above him poured his bag of popcorn down, just rained all over Westbrook, everyone surrounding him. Luckily, he had a ton of security guards to kind of restrain him, but he was pissed off, and for a good reason. I mean, that is just disrespectful on a whole nother level. So, pours a popcorn on him. He wasn't able to get out of that tunnel and start mouthing off to him, which would have been fine, honestly, given what happened. But, yeah, I mean, they restrained him. Kind of saved him from having to pay out a fat check to the league, maybe lose out on anything. But, yeah, it was a serious deal. It was talked about by... ESPN, Fox, TNT was talking about it. That's the big deal. And it's kind of where is the line for stuff like this. And clearly it got crossed. So Trey Young, I couldn't find a statement on him. But here is what Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal had to say on the situation. Unfortunately, you know, I was leaving out and then I just seen so popcorn on top of my head, you know. Um, and to be blatantly honest, man, this shit out of hand, uh, especially for me. Um, just the amount of disrespect, the amount of just fans just doing whatever they want to do. It's just it's out of pocket, man. It's out of pocket, seriously. Like in the other setting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for the fans enjoying the game and having fun. And, you know, it's part of sports. I get it. Uh, but there's certain things that cross the line. Uh, and any other setting, I know for a fact that fans and they wouldn't come up. And a guy wouldn't come on the street and pour popcorn on my head because he know what happened. A guy wouldn't come up to me and talk a mess about my kids and my family on the street because the response would be different. In these arenas, you got to start protecting the players, man. It, uh, you know, we'll see what the NBA does. It's disgusting. Um... You know, because us as players, we don't get to protect ourselves. You know, we can't run in the stands and confront somebody who was disrespecting us. Like, we're here to entertain everyone in this arena. And, you know, granted, it may be one bad app or whatever the case may be, but that's still not a good look for the city and for the team and for all fans. Like, that's BS. So as kind of discussed by both Westbrook and Bradley Beal, like they're clearly heated about it and everyone in the league kind of is like regardless, that's just, that's jacked up. You don't have to have more than like two brain cells to kind of, you know, get through to that process. But the deal is like they're kind of in a defenseless spot, as they mentioned. If they're going to do anything, there's going to be a punishment. I might have talked about it before the quote. Honestly, I kind of forgot, but... Whenever Russell Westbrook was playing for the Thunder back in 2019, this might have been the playoff series or just a typical game um, in Utah. But anyways, he was, you know, on the bench and there was a fan up calling him racial slurs, doing all this, all that. There's a lot of pretty disgusting quotes that I have from it. And Russell Westbrook in retaliation, like he got up and he started cussing back. He started saying that he was going to F him up repeat that maybe like three four times and then the people up on top the guy who was doing it started playing victim it was like whoa what are you talking about that guy got banned he's not allowed to come back to the jazz arena um but for westbrook 
Like, he still got a $25,000 fine for that. And it's like, I mean, I understand it because it's a bad look seeing that online. Like, that is clearly going to be a viral video. Russell Westbrook cussing out a fan. That can be taken way out of context. You see it all the time. Like, you can take stuff out of context. Obviously, doing that on an NBA level, probably not possible. But still, that's not going to be great publicity for you anyways. And everyone looking at that, for the most part, you know, 99% of the people who see that video are going to say, well, yeah, duh, he, that guy is lucky he didn't get, you know, beat in the face by Russell Westbrook because he would have deserved it. But there's always that 1% who would be complaining about it. And, you know, I, I guess they just want to prevent that from happening because they don't want to see people drift away because, I mean, I guess they're running a business that's just how it works um and you gotta you know keep stuff in check like that but at the same time it's like you know how are you going to put the players in that situation where anything can be thrown their way and they're just expected to do nothing about it like that is the dumbest the dumbest thing ever and i was kind of looking through some of the other clips i saw today surrounding westbrook and surrounding trey young and I found one on Skip and Shannon. It might be Shannon and Skip. It's one of two. But Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, they had Ron Artest on there. Probably the best expert in terms of fan interaction and just, you know, interacting with players on the court. You know, we can talk about James Harden all we want and what happened there. But he was on and he was talking about malice uh, in the palace because whenever he went up, if you guys already, you guys already know the story probably, but... He was out there reclining on the scores table, and someone threw a bottle at him. And immediately after that, he got up out of the scores table and went into the stands, started beating the crap out of the guy who threw it. And he said in the, the interview that he he knew he got the right guy. I, I think reports, and honestly what I thought was, he started beating up the wrong guy. That's what I was told. Um, I guess that's not the case according to Meta World Peace now, but... Yeah, he ended up fighting that guy. I believe the, the suspension was crazy. Like, I wasn't really following basketball back then, but I remember the way that they kind of sorted things out. Ron Artest, he might have been suspended for, like, the whole entire season. Um, let me see right here. Yeah, he got suspended for the rest of the season off that incident right there. I know they're dishing out to everybody. He said he lost around $6 million off of going up and trying to beat that guy up. And also, all the endorsement deals just cut loose. He was left with pretty much nothing, and yeah, he's still a millionaire. But all that money lost out on, and all all that stuff, like, when you look at what the other guy did, I don't know if he got criminal charges pressed upon him. Probably, though, he didn't end up losing $6 million, and he probably got kicked out. He's not allowed to come back to NBA arenas, you know? So, the punishment scale is clearly off. And it's something that is hard to address because you can't have, you know, the the players going out and like going crazy on the fans because as I talked about, that's going to not be a good look, as I said, but you need to make it so this stuff doesn't happen. And it couldn't happen in the past like year and a half or so because there's not any fans. And if there were fans, you would be lucky to see like a group of a hundred spread around the whole entire like lower bowl. Everyone was at the very top. And for the Thunder, we've never even seen fans in the Chesapeake Energy Arena. The only people we see are the media. 
they're not going to be out there cussing out somebody. They're not going to be throwing popcorn on people. They're just going to be writing about the game, right? So they reintroduce people back in the lower bowl. And I know that it's like a very emotion-ridden game because it's the playoffs. And hell, for a team like the Knicks, they've wanted to be there for a very long time. And it's kind of that like one bad apple mentality gives everybody a bad rap, but that's kind of just how it is. So the league... I honestly, I don't know how to do it, but I, I guarantee they're going to have to have some sort of boardroom meeting to discuss how they can kind of make things safer. Maybe it's pushing away seats no, like near the lower tunnel or something like that. I don't know if they just totally scrap courtside, but they got to make it safer for the players because like I said, in these situations, they are completely defenseless and you know, the league they're not really going to have the players' backs. At least that's what we've seen in the past. Maybe that might change, but you know, if a player's out there interacting with a fan in any negative way, you're not going to be coming out of that scotch-free. You're going to get a fine, five-figure, maybe even six figures. So I don't know how they address it, but that was just my big deal. And I don't know. I mean, it needs to be fixed around. We'll see what happens for the rest of the playoff series. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, you know, the people who end up doing this stuff, spitting and pouring popcorn, they're not allowed to come back to an NBA arena. They can just watch the game on television, you know what I mean? So it's not very balanced around. Um, it's just probably going to be that way regardless. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a sad state uh, yesterday. I don't know. Like I said, I mean, everyone's moving from the arenas, like it's swapping from you know, the higher seed to the lower seed for the next, I guess, two games, maybe even three games based on how they do the playoff structures now. But I don't know. Um, yeah, that's something that will need to be fixed in due time. But that was my main takeaway from the playoffs. Um, yeah, like I said, pretty disturbing. There's going to be three more games tonight. Going to be the Bucks and the Heat. The Suns and the Lakers and the Nuggets and Trailblazers. Suns and Lakers, that's the one that pops out to me just because I've become a huge fan of Cameron Payne again out of nowhere. Scored like 17 or 19 points. It doesn't matter. I want more of it. And also, it's the Lakers. If the Suns are able to sweep out the Lakers, that's going to be lovely. My primary game, though, is going to be tomorrow. I guess, yeah, yeah, it would be tomorrow when the Mavericks play against the Clippers. If they can get that 3-0 advantage, man, I might turn this into a Mavericks podcast for the next couple of days. And I kind of just turned this into an NBA podcast for around the first 15 minutes. So maybe you guys are okay with that. My bad uh, if I kind of veered a little bit off track. But I'm going to go right back on target with two of the Thunder's centerpieces, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Lou Dort. This has been something that has kind of been marked in fans' minds for months now, and it's not just through SGA, not just through Dort. I'm talking players like Poku and Teo Maladon, even Gabrielle Deck. It's the Olympics, and for SGA and for Dort, they were expected to play for Team Canada, and if they would have both been on the roster this year, they would have had a lot of minutes, and this would have been their grand showcase, even more of a platform for them to improve heading into next season. Would have elevated their growth almost undoubtedly. And the roster, as it stands, looks pretty good right now. There is a 
good number of pieces surrounding the roster. There's Andrew Wiggins, Tristan Thompson, Dwight Powell, Kelly Olynyk, to name a few. Also, when you look at others, Dylan Brooks, O'Shea Brissett, R.J. Barrett, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. It's a pretty good lineup stacked out with a lot of NBA players and even NBA guys or former NBA guys who are right on the cusp, like Andrew Nicholson, for example. But the big deal for us is OKC, guys, and we're going to get one of the two to play. Lou Dort is going to be on the roster. At least he's one of the 21 people to get invites. Now, I would assume he makes it out unless there's some sort of injury or the Thunder want to tell him, you know, you can't play, which I would assume would have been covered beforehand. But it looks like he's going to be good to go. He's clearly one of the top 15 guys on the roster right now. SGA, though, he would have been one of the top 15. He probably would have been the star because Jamal Murray, he's rehabbing right now as well. But he's not going to be playing because he is still rehabbing. He posted on his Instagram page, really thanking Team Canada and the opportunity he would have had. He was very excited to play. But he still has to rehab on that plantar fascia injury. Still working on the plantar fasciitis deal. Typically, the you know the timetable you can get is like five weeks. He's clearly past that by now, but you'd rather be safe than sorry. And also, those like that little estimation I gave you really doesn't cover the cost because if there's a significant tear, it's gonna take you longer than five weeks. Hell, it could take him all summer. They want to prioritize him being at 100% for training camp. Playing for Team Canada would be a big boost, and it'd get him back on his feet for training camp, of course, because he hasn't played in like two, three months right now. But it's a safe bet, and, you know, I'm kind of happy the Thunder did it because you don't want to see any scares. Um, but yeah, it is a little bit disheartening because if SGA and Dort would have been together, that would have been the team to root for in the Olympics. So we won't see that, but it is going to be even more of a kind of room for Lou Dort to blossom out. He's looked like a star in some of these games with the Thunder, specifically when SGA has not been playing. You throw him with a supporting cast of some other very, very good players, and I fully expect him to grow even more. And this is the same trend you'd see with someone like Teo Maladon if he is going to be playing for France. And I think there might be an update on him. I might give that um, later, but I think there's an update with Teo. If Poku plays for the Serbian national team, that's probably going to be the biggest one out of everybody because he's going to have even more reps. We need more reps with him because the first half of the season, you couldn't play him for five minutes without a couple turnovers. Last 10, 15 games, he looked like the next big thing in the NBA. So keep him on that Serbian national team and let him play against a lot of experienced talent. The only downside is in these competitions, they revert back to like FIBA, FIBA rules. So you can do those wacky goaltendings when it's over the cylinder. That's not good because if Poku gets back in that habit, it's going to be another two or three months kind of rewiring his brain not to do that again. But everything outside of that, oh, I'm all for Alexei Pokashevsky suiting back up. And Gabriel Deck, love to see him play. And even Vasily Micic, if he plays, 
I don't know if he'd even be playing for the Thunder, to be quite honest with you, but we still have those draft rights, and it's even more of a chance for him to make a name for himself. He clearly does, you know, kind of have a name um, already out there. Just won EuroLeague MVP, 27 years old. He's been on NBA radars for like five years, even beyond that, because he did get drafted. But yeah, and one of the greatest parts about Micic is if he decides to play in the Olympics and Poku does, they're going to be teaming up together because he also was born in Serbia. So he would be playing for the Serbian national team and you'd have that tandem. If it would develop past the Olympics, we don't know, but it's good to see potentially seedlings going in. And if there's any sort of mentorship there, Micic is a great playmaker. Pokashevsky has shown that ability as well. So boost up Poku for the next couple of years, not the next couple of years, for the rest of his career. And it could be in part to Vasile Micic. So that was kind of the news surrounding Team Canada. As we know with all the others, it's kind of a work in progress. I'll nail those out one at a time as to where they will be going and if they'll be competing in play. But there is one more thing I want to talk about, about what we could see on the floor for next year. And this comes from Twitter. This is more or less just a mock scenario. And quite frankly, when I saw this, this just looked like the worst kind of, you know, mock trade you can make. This is one of those trades that you throw up on ESPN, the trade machines, and no one really gives it a second glance. And that was, when I saw this on my feed, that's kind of the same exact response I had. Because I looked at this, this and I was like, this is a no-brainer to me. But this is surprising. Most of the people who voted on this went against me. And you need to take this um, kind of with a grain of salt on how it came back. Because there are only 87 votes on this poll. But 57 0.5% of the people on this poll voted against this trade. And let me lay it out to you. This is a hypothetical. If the Thunder like get this luck in the lottery, I'd be jumping for joy. You don't even need to make a trade here. But the Thunder would have the second pick in the draft as well as the fifth pick in the draft. That already gets you set. But it's even more enticing because Detroit, they have the third pick. And Troy Weaver calls up Sam Presti in this hypothetical, and he says that he will trade the third pick, as well as Seku Dumbayao, to the Thunder for a gigantic haul. He'd want the fifth pick, the 35th pick, the 36th pick, a 2022 unprotected first from the Clippers, and a 2023 protected first from the Nuggets. I believe that's lottery protected. Along with those picks, they get Ty Jerome and Isaiah Roby. So, as I said on, on this Twitter poll, over half of the people went against this deal. I don't understand not thinking at all, to be quite honest with you. And I'm going to go through why. I think with Ty Jerome and Isaiah Roby, they're great. Ty Jerome, he has the potential to be a very deadly bench asset. Truthfully, he already is. And for Roby, the ability for him to play at 3 through 5 pretty much seamlessly is a trait that you want to have on the roster. And if his 3 
is not a fluke because it kind of was up and down last year. He's a very solid role player and he can continue to develop. I think both of them are 23. Roby might be 22. But I don't look at either of those guys as X-Factor players. You can trade them away. For these picks, number five, that is valuable. The two second round picks that would be traded, 35 and 36, I actually think it might be 34 and 36 that the Thunder have. So that might be a bit off. Really doesn't matter though. I mean, let's just be honest. It doesn't matter. Two pretty early second round picks. I don't see an issue because the Thunder, they're pretty crunched up on roster spots anyways. Are they going to be taking all those draft choices? Probably not. I don't think they're taking pick 55. I think that out of the three here, they would be taking those. But you need to talk about number two. Number two, five in those two seconds, that's four spots. You gut out Jerome. You gut out Roby. Those are six open spots. Someone like Svi Mikhailuk in this scenario, we'd probably pick him up and you try to scoop up those 22, 23-year-old guys in the free agent market. But I don't think this is a devastating blow because you have someone like Gabrielle Deck who could kind of swap in for the minutes Roby would take up. And in the case of Ty Jerome, let's just say you get Michich, those minutes are already covered for, and if not, you hit it in the draft. So I covered those three picks. And then the unprotected first from Los Angeles, that's going to be in the 20s. Like, I don't even care what happens with Kawhi Leonard, honestly. I still think that's in the 20s. And I think, you know, Kawhi will stay on for at least the next year and reevaluate things. That 2023 first from Denver, the stock is only going up. So that's also going to be a high 20s pick. Why? Why would that be detrimental to the rebuild? It would not. You're not even giving up a valuable pick here. The Denver one's not valuable, and that Clippers one definitely is not valuable. If you go talk about the 2024 Clippers or the 2026 Clippers, now you're talking. If you go into the pick swaps that we have with the 76ers in 2025 or whenever it is, the picks we have from the Rockets, then you're actually thinking about it. But none of those things outside that number five pick seem gigantic to me. And the move from five to three in this draft definitely outweighs all those other outside factors you toss in. What's the point in having 17 first round picks if you're not able to give up two of them to move up and get someone that you are adamant about being a superstar? You trade anything for a superstar. There's talks like, what would you give up for Luka Doncic? He's practically untradeable. Could you give him the the Mavs 17 first round picks to pry away Doncic? Probably not right now. Probably not. So like the return here, you're betting on the future. This is a gigantic rebuild. As I said with Jerome and Roby, they're not going to be gigantic pieces for you probably ever. And those other picks, yeah, they could turn into something. But if you love someone at three, you do it. And here's what you you do with that, you know, second and third pick. I don't really care who gets picked first. If it's Cade Cunningham, that's great. If it's Jalen Green, that's also great. But the big deal here is you get a shot at Evan Mobley. I don't think he'd get picked first, to be quite honest with you. So you'd get Evan Mobley, and then you'd either get Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green. Personally, I think Cunningham's probably going to get picked first, but Jalen Green, in my eyes, 
really is just as good. So you end up getting a guy in green that is going to be your future piece to play along with SGA for the next five to eight years, potentially even longer. And then at the center spot, this is a gigantic question mark the Thunder have not answered, I think has not been talked about a lot. Moses Brown is a great center. Is he great as a starter? I don't think so. I think as a backup, he would be amazing. He's working in Oklahoma City this summer to get better. If he gets a bigger frame and he stays at the same athleticism, now you're talking potentially a starting caliber, but if you get someone like a Mobley, I don't think it matters. You just use Moses Brown as a monster off the bench because nobody would be able to handle him. Your traditional backup centers cannot deal with Moses Brown. That's why in the G League bubble, he was the best center without a doubt in the league. He just overpowered them with his size and his athleticism. With Evan Mobley though, you end up getting that athleticism, but you also get the versatility of him being a pick and pop player and also a pick and roll kind of guy. You need someone with SGA who can run in for those lobs off of screens. He does that. But you also need someone who can go outside and pop a quick two or quick three. Evan Mobley does that for you. And what it does is it lays that foundation. And this is what I said in yesterday's episode. If the Thunder are able to establish a roster where there's only one or two more pieces that you think you need for a championship run, this is a home run offseason. And that's what this deal would end up giving you. SGA at the one. Let's just say Jalen Green at the two. Lou Dort at the three. Poku at the four. Evan Mobley at the five. And off the bench, you'd have Teo Maladon for the backup guard. Who would you end up having? You'd probably have someone like Micic, and there's no Micic. You could probably get a decent backup for the time being. Hell, Kenrich Williams can be that shooting guard for you. At the three spot, you would end up having someone like Gabrielle Deck. At the four, Darius Basie would be the guy for you. And at the five, there would be Moses Brown. That's an elite 10-man lineup, with all of them being extremely young outside of Kenrich Williams and Gabrielle Deck. And they are just now hitting that like peak age of 27 years old anyways. So that lays the cards out. Yeah, you lose out on Ty Jerome. You lose out on Roby. I love both of them. I think they're both great. But when you're talking the future, that makes sense. Let them pick Jonathan Kuminga, Scotty Barnes, whoever it is at five. I don't think you compare their roster to the Thunders and say, oh, the Detroit Pistons look even better. And not to mention, they'd be giving out Sekou Doombayao. I think that's even more of a reason why the Thunder would do it. And honestly, I don't even know if you need to attach Doombayao for this deal to be great in my eyes. Is it a little bit of an overpay? Maybe, just maybe, adding two extra firsts and two pretty good role players for you. I don't think it's a a deal breaker though. The deal makes sense to me. That would be what I would go for. If you guys want to check out this post, it is by Giola388. It's G-E-O-L-A388 on Twitter. As I talked about, it's kind of one of the smaller fan accounts, which all fan accounts for the Thunder are great. Um, But yeah, I mean, 
it wasn't like a ton of people voted on this poll. This might have just been kind of a red herring anyways, but it was just kind of, it piqued my attention a little bit on where kind of some of these people's heads were at. And there weren't a lot of explanations in the comments here. A lot of it was just people saying they were surprised and I guess there were some counters. One of them, you know, said, let's take off one of those future firsts and go for number four instead because they didn't care if they got green or Jalen Suggs. I still think having that choice is a lot better because I grade Jalen Green a little bit more than Jalen Suggs. That's the guy I'm stuck on. If Presti's stuck on one out of the two, I think that's where he'd go for as well. But in this deal, I don't think it would even happen. I think that, quite frankly, Detroit, if they have a shot to get Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, they're going to pounce all over it. If anything, they're going to be calling about number two. I don't think they'd want to trade back two spots. And if they did, it wouldn't really make much sense for them. Now, they have Killian Hayes, so I guess it does make sense. But at that three guard or at the small forward, they already have Sadiq Bay. So it's weird. I, I think that deal doesn't happen, but it's just one of those kind of interesting deals that I wanted to cover for today's episode. Maybe spike your mind up a little bit and get your opinions on it. If you do have an opinion and you would like to share it with me, make sure to tell me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Ben Kreider, just my straight up name. So you can send me anything you'd like. If not for that, you can always just go to the podcast Twitter account. I think it's just at Thundersticks Pod. Maybe just Thundersticks Pod because there is a character restriction on Twitter. So you can kind of go to me there, direct message me, whatever it is. If it is an idea for the next episode, a question, I'll make sure to answer it in the next one. But as of now, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See you.